0: It's almost like this idea or analogy of like having a garden. And maybe, you know, when you were in college, that garden was pretty robust or maybe it looked like a greenhouse or what have you. I think of this analogy, actually, now I think about it because I actually did used to run a greenhouse when I was in college. But the flip side, though, is that once they become a resident, maybe it's more like an air plant or like a cactus. (laughs) You know, it's just one single thing that they can focus on, they can take care of, they can nurture. And, you know, when they become an attending, maybe it can grow again to a whole garden.
1: Hello, and welcome to Doc Working the Whole Physician podcast. I'm Jill Farmer, one of the lead coaches at Doc Working and one of the co-hosts of the podcast. And I'm really excited today to be joined by Dr. Roy Fediakborn. He's an endocrine and general surgeon at Mass General Hospital in Boston and he's an assistant professor of surgery at the Harvard Medical School, and he also has a rather interesting hobby that I think we're going to use as the launching point to talk about some of the importance of work-life balance concepts that we talk about a lot here on the podcast. So, Roy, thanks so much for joining us today for this conversation.
0: Oh, thanks so much for having me.
1: So tell us a little bit about what is this interesting or quirky hobby that you have outside of your work as a physician, as a surgeon, and as a professor?
0: Yeah, so it's definitely quirky. Well, it started, to be honest with you, with fans. So when my wife, now wife, but then girlfriend, and I were dating for my birthday, she gave me an old electric fan. And it's, uh, you know, a beautiful fan that has this gigantic oversized motor to it, probably from like the 1950s. And uh, I started kind of tinkering with it. I took it apart, cleaned it up, put it back together again. And, you know, just watching it work really brought joy to my life and my heart. And I think in some ways, you know, it very much parallels why I went into surgery. I mean, I like to work with my hands. I like to fix things that are not working or at least not working as well as I think they could be working. But that has slowly evolved into, I think, a lot of other kind of old things. They're not necessarily antiques, but definitely things that I just like and things that I find interesting. Most of the time, I think nobody else really finds it that interesting, at least based on the prices I'm seeing them go for on eBay. But, you know, certainly I like them. Sometimes it reminds me of my childhood. Sometimes these things just remind me of our maybe larger purpose in life is to kind of in some ways be a caretaker for some of these things. And so I try to fix them up, but also preserve them for the next generation of owners. So that's basically the hobby in a nutshell, is this idea of basically collecting old, interesting objects.
1: And then you, as you said, you kind of get them working, maybe a little more like what their original working ability was. Do you sell them or do you have a hard time letting go of them once you own them and get them working right again?
0: I think it depends who you ask. If you ask my wife, I think she would say that it definitely is harder for me to let go of some of these things than others. But, you know, I do think we're here, you know, only for a short time and these objects will outlast me hopefully for a long, long time. And so I really see it more as just kind of finding somebody else who will cherish the object as much as I do, as opposed to, you know, building a warehouse and slowly getting more and more objects into my home.
1: That's great. Well, it's really interesting, and we're going to talk a little bit later about just a couple of the really interesting items that you have brought into the collection, but let's zoom out for a minute here. You are an extremely busy surgeon, very accomplished. I know extremely well-regarded by your colleagues. You wouldn't say that, but I can because I've heard it from them directly. And you also have a passion for medical education, master's in medical education, and for helping other surgeons be wonderful at what they're doing and learning how to do it effectively. So somebody might say, how do you have time to do this? Or why do you make the time with all that other really important passion that you have in your professional life? How and why do you make the time for this collecting and the stuff in this hobby that you have?
0: I would answer that, I think, for a couple reasons. So number one, I think there is a just kind of overall mental health reason for doing something that's just different than my day-to-day work. And, you know, the stakes are not nearly as high. And so I certainly can zone out a little bit while I'm doing it. You know, if it's polishing or cleaning, I think there's also just something kind of relaxing about these kind of repetitive movements that you kind of see progress made in increments. And, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for just kind of overall feeling like you're making a difference in a small way. I think another piece of it, to be honest, is sometimes practicing skills that I need to use anyways in my daily work, but in a different setting. So oftentimes, you know, I'll go into an antique shop or I'll look at an item on eBay and the person thinks it's like this incredibly rare thing that is worth a fortune, you know? And I've really learned over the years that it's just not worth arguing (laughs) about these things because there's no way to really meet them in the middle. You know, we're just starting too far apart and those negotiation kind of practice sessions really pay off because I certainly have found in my daily work, you know, sometimes I'm just really, really far apart from someone else. And rather than sit around, just kind of going around and around in circles, maybe it's best to just, you know, break away and just find another person to work with type of thing and i think that's been you know a good lesson i think to learn and certainly safer to do it with old objects than your daily work environment
1: well you said two things from a life coaching perspective that i absolutely loved and so i want to break those apart just a little bit because i think there was so much goodness in there and one is that you have this interest in collecting and then in improving these interesting items that you take on is like changing the channel in your brain right you're on one channel a lot of intensity that requires a lot of focus that can create decision fatigue, all the things that we know from being in the highly pressurized situations of a surgical suite and all the other things that come with that. So your hobby is kind of a chance for you to change the channel. And what I experience a lot of times with clients is when they allow themselves to do that, it's a way that they recharge their batteries. Do you find that for you too, that if you're feeling tired or overwhelmed, that this is a way that it kind of Even though you're doing something while you're doing it, it is a recharging activity.
0: Absolutely. It's definitely a recharging activity. And I think it's so recharging that to be honest with you, maybe I shouldn't say this on the air, but you know, my daily work day, sometimes you just need a break, you know, and I find I'll just go to eBay, you know, they'll still let me get onto that (laughs) site. And I'll just look at some things, you know, and it just helps me relax for five, 10 minutes in between meetings or in between patients, you know. And like you said, help you refocus on the day and then just kind of recharge. So I'm ready to keep going. I also think it's also recharging in the sense that when you get to interact with other people who like these items or like these same things, there is a passion, I think, that they have for these objects that, although maybe I don't have necessarily the same passion for it, it's just nice to see, you know, and it almost like creates like kind of a community of collectors, which is also very recharging.
1: Yeah, I love that. Yes. One of our most primal basic needs is community. And so we have built-in communities, right? in hospitals and colleagues and patients. And it's nice to create a community around something that's a little different too. It's not that one is mutually exclusive to the other, but there is some rejuvenation in having something, again, that this changes the channel on your brain and gives you a chance to tune in and recharge on something else. The other thing that you said that I think is super helpful is a lot of times I think medical professionals can feel very siloed. Like, well, I've got my work life. I've got my home life. I've got my academic life. I've got my clinical life. And a lot of the things I'm doing in coaching is to say, well, what's working here in this part of your life? And is there an aspect of how it's working here that we can pull into this area where it's not working? Mm -hmm. It's a blueprint. When something's going well, it kind of creates a little blueprint for us that we forget to look at to see if we can put it into play in another section of our life that maybe isn't working as well or a situation, not necessarily a whole section of our life. And so I love that for you, the experience of kind of realizing that sometimes people's stuff was a little too precious to them to make it reasonable enough for you to be able to take it on and rebuild it helped you remember that we can be selective about the places when we recognize that somebody else's mind is so made up that there's not a real need to try to bang our head against the wall on that. So that's such a good example of that blueprint in one part of our life crossing over into another part. So am I off base on that or is that how you experience that as well?
0: Oh, completely how I experience it. And honestly, I think it's also a great way to engender empathy because I think in the beginning, you know, you're kind of like, oh, you know, there's that thing. I've been looking for it for like six years. You know, what do you want for it type of thing? And you can really get ahead of yourself, you know, because you start to lose sight of why do you want the object in the first place? You know, why is this thing kind of driving you type of thing? And instead, I think what I have learned is that it's really number one, important to remember the goals for doing this. So again, it's to relax, (laughs) not to get stressed. And then number two is that for this person who's selling the object, for example, this may be the most precious thing in the world to them, or they may have a lot of memories associated with it. Maybe it was their grandfather's, you know, and they remember when they first got it, you know, or something like that. And, you know, I think really kind of delving into that backstory has helped me become a more compassionate person, especially when you're dealing with patients who sometimes come off as extremely unreasonable. And, you know, rather than push back, I've learned maybe I should just kind of go digging a little bit and try and find the story.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. You are extremely high regarded, and I know one of your passions in life is helping to make medical education excellent for med students and residents and fellows. What might you say to one of those med students or residents or fellows or young surgeons or physicians when they say, oh gosh, I'm just never going to have time to do anything like this, you know, outside of working all the time. What what would you tell them or what advice would you give them if they're hesitant to want to take on an outside interest outside of their medical career?
0: Yeah. So actually I tell all of the med students who are matching into surgery That they need to have an outlet while they are a general surgery resident, and then definitely once they become an attending. And oftentimes, that outlet, especially as a resident, is more kind of physical fitness focused or exercise, which I think makes a lot of sense. But it would be nice if they could maintain some other outside interest. And I always try to tell them that, you know, it'd be even better if that outside interest wasn't too expensive. But, you know, if they have to splurge on something, I think that is a good thing to splurge on, because maybe they don't have to do it, or maybe they're not able to do it as much as they were able to do it maybe when they were in college or something like that. But certainly, if they could at least get to it once a month, I think it's almost like this idea or analogy of like having a garden. And maybe, you know, when you were in college, that garden was pretty robust, or maybe it looked like a greenhouse or what have you. I think of this analogy, actually, now I think about it because I actually did used to run a greenhouse when I was in college. but the flip side, though, is that once they become a resident, maybe it's more like an air plant or like a cactus. <laughs> you know, it's just one single thing that they can focus on, they can take care of, they can nurture. And you know, when they become an attending, maybe it can grow again to a whole garden.
1: Oh, I love that. I think that's a really important advice. And even if it is that airplane or cactus, being intentional about giving it a little time and focus is important, too, because I would imagine, If you were just waiting spontaneously for this magic windfall of time to show up to make time and space for your interests, that it would always get squeezed out. So how have you been intentional about making some space for that so that it blends in and integrates with the other important parts of your life and work and career and relationship and doesn't get squeezed out? I know you guys are finding this as interesting as I am, and we have lots more coming up right after this important message from Board Vitals.
2: Preparing for your board exam or looking for a quick and convenient way to earn CME? Study for your board exam and fulfill your CME requirements with Board Vitals. Board Vitals is the leading online board review platform with question banks and CME activities available in more than 50 medical and healthcare specialties. Board Vitals questions are loaded with detailed explanations, reference materials, and evidence-based rationales. And now you can take your studying on the go with Board Vitals mobile app. People who use Board Vitals question banks have a higher pass rate by 9% from the national average and an 18% reduction in study time. Board Vitals has helped more than 400,000 practitioners pass their board exams. They offer a free trial for all their question banks, and they offer a 100% pass guarantee when you sign up for a subscription of three months or more. Sign up today and get a special discount for being part of the Doc Working community by using the code DOCWORKING10. That's D-O-C-W-O-R-K-I-N-G and the number 10. That's a 10% discount code just for being part of our community with the discount code DOCWORKING10 for board vitals Dot com. That's b o a r d v i t a l s dot com.
0: For me, what works best, and maybe this is because of the siloed piece that you brought up earlier, is that I just usually just do the same day of the week and roughly around the same time each week to do it. I'm a scheduled person, for better or for worse, and I always make sure then that I have time in my schedule to do this. I actually physically put it in my schedule, <laughs> and that just works for me. Obviously, if I need a break or something like that, I'll do it as well. But, you know, especially if I know like I just picked up something on eBay, I think I'm at the point in my life where I know roughly how much time it's going to take me to really enjoy, you know, cleaning it up and restoring it or what have you. And so I just block out that time and, you know, really make sure I can just enjoy it for everything that it's worth.
1: I love it. So you're kind of alluding to what my grandpa might have said, the lost art of tinkering, right? Taking things to get them back to work. What are some of the more interesting items that you've been able to pick up? And what have you done with them to make them back to their original glory again?
0: Oh, boy. Uh, (laughs) I have a lot of things. I'm actually looking around my office at the moment to see if I could just show you some of the things. So this thing here, it's a saddle bag apothecary surgeon's kit type of thing these handles open up and you would put it across the saddle of a horse. And then each of these compartments open up and there are bottles inside and then spaces for vials uh, that go in here and equipment. So when I found this, it was in pretty bad shape. And so I immediately started trying to learn about how to restore leather, which was something I never really had thought to try before. Just a word to your viewers, when you type in restoration of leather in Google, there are some sites that it does bring up that you probably do not want to go down, (laughs) or at least was not what I was thinking would show up when I originally typed it in. But I then found great resource actually in different museums. And some of these conservators are super helpful with their time and willing to really kind of talk me through exactly how you do restore old leather without breaking it because it's very, very brittle. And so this whole thing ended up becoming this whole process of learning, you know, how to restore old leather and then cleaning it once you're done. And of course, the vials, some of them have atropine and belladonna and opiates in them. So they're actually, can be physically dangerous if you're not careful. And so, you know, that was also a whole part of the learning process, which I thought was just amazing. I have a boom box <laughs> over here uh, from the early eighties. It's massive. It's about probably 55 pounds because it's all metal and there's hardly any plastic in it because that's just the way they were made. That took a while to clean. Once I was cleaning it, I actually discovered it actually has a burglar alarm in it, which I thought was crazy. The only reason I found out was because after I found 12 D batteries to make this thing run again the thing went off and I end up with ringing in my ears for a couple of days. But, you know, it's just amazing that these things, which are already so heavy, you know, I remember as a kid, you know, you see them break dancing, that sort of stuff. I never really thought that someone would try to take it (laughs) in the midst of all this, but, you know, they were quite expensive back then. And you can see why, when you look at the level of the construction and, just all the details and uh, components you know, that go into it that would definitely not be present in a radio today.
1: I love that. It's so infectious to hear you talk about it because one of the things that's very evident is this is an outlet for doing something that you value a lot, which is learning. And I think a lot of times my physician and surgeon clients are under the misnomer that the only thing they should spend any time learning about is you know specifically related to professional knowledge. And then they get a oh. little burned out on that. And so recognizing that loving learning other things and really making some intention and time and space in your schedule for those other things actually enhances your capacity to learn more when the time comes in your professional area as well. Would you agree with that?
0: Completely agree with you. In fact, I would argue actually learning new skills, I think is especially important, at least as a surgeon. Because it also, I think, helps me understand what it's like, again, to be a medical student, right? And not know how to tie a knot, not know how to suture. I mean, again, as I'm getting older, it's getting harder and harder to remember what that was like. But whenever I try to learn a new skill, you know, like I recently just tried to learn how to play the ukulele, which is another whole story. But the point is, is that, you know, it's really challenging. And, you know, I look like I'm, you know, having a small seizure or something as I'm trying to coordinate my left hand with my right hand, which is oftentimes what I feel like the medical student looks like when they're trying to learn a new skill. And so it really helps me, I think, you know, step back and say, okay, so if I'm the student in this case, you know, what do I tell myself to really try to learn this skill? And it always occurs to me, okay, first thing is deconstruct the procedure, you know, break it down. So, you know, I try to break it down and for myself and really, you know, watch some more YouTube videos, maybe get some feedback from somebody who actually knows how to play. You know, all these different things really, I think, help me become a better teacher to my students.
1: Dr. Roy Fariakan, this has been so enlightening. Thank you for sharing not only insights into your own collection and what motivates you in your hobby outside of work, but helping us to see how it can really enhance and give more joy, passion, meaning to people's lives and help them become better physicians and surgeons as well. It was really, really great to have you. Of course, General and endocrine Surgeon at Mass General Hospital, as well as an Associate Professor of Surgery at Harvard. Thanks so much for joining us for this conversation.
0: No, thank you. I'm always happy to enable any of your listeners with these collecting hobbies. Just let me know.
1: Thanks all of you for tuning in to listen to this edition of Doc Working the Whole Physician Podcast. We have something new and exciting to tell you about. So I want you to hop over to docworking.com. Docworking Thrive is getting ready to launch in a very short time. And what that is, is a subscription service for physicians. It includes an excellent self paced course called Stat that is all about quick wins for living well. It is group coaching. It is a Facebook group where you have a chance to connect to other physicians and coaches to ask questions about things that are happening in your life. And it also includes weekly video tips to come and give you advice on important things in your life. So we're really excited about this. The price is almost too good to be true. It's so good. And I really think it's going to be a fabulous support network for physicians. So we hope you hop on over, check out Doc Working Thrive today. And until next time, we'll see you on Doc Working, The Whole Physician Podcast. Hello, and thank you for listening. This is Amanda Tarrin. I'm the producer of the Doc Working Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please like and subscribe. We would also love it if you checked out our website, which is docworking.com. And you can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. On Instagram, we are docworking1, and that is with the number 1. When you check us out on social, please let us know what you would like to hear on the podcast. Your feedback really means a lot to us. And if you're a physician with a story you'd like to tell, please reach out to me at at DocWorking.com to apply to be on the podcast. Thank you again, and we look forward to talking with you on the next episode of Doc Working, The Whole Physician Podcast.